Hi all, good to see you and thanks for joining me again today. Today I have a special surprise. I am going to take you way back to take you forward. And what do I mean by that? I'm going to introduce you to someone really special. Her name is Dana Rudolph and she and her partner had a child years and years ago, way before gay marriage was legalized, way before everybody knew about disclosure issues, way before people knew how to raise donor-conceived children. And they did a lot of really brave things and started a group called Mombian. It's an amazing website with a incredible resources and will give you so much information about books, about podcasts like this one, about all sorts of things that can really help you on your family building journey. So take a look. I think you're really going to like this episode. Welcome to Donor Conception Conversations. This is the one podcast created exclusively for people who are planning to use donor conception to build their family or for people who have already built their family with donor conception. I'm your host. My name is Lisa Schumann. I'm a researcher, a therapist, and an expert in donor conception. And over my more than two decades of experience working both in fertility clinics and in my private practice, the Center for Family Building, I've met with thousands of donor-conceived individuals, children, recipients, and donors. And I've learned so much, and I'm here to teach you all that I've learned in this podcast. My guests and I will talk about everything that you need to know to have a better journey to parenthood. If it's about donor conception, we're going to talk about it. And today I have the special opportunity to introduce you to two lovely women. And one of them started a group called Mombian. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about them. Dana Rudolph is the founder and publisher of the two-time GLAAD Media Award-winning blog called Mombian, which since 2005 has offered lesbian moms and other LGBTQ parents a mix of news, opinions, resources, and more. It includes a growing database of over 1,300 books and about LGBTQ families. Dana also writes a regular Mombian newspaper column that appears in several LGBTQ papers around the U.S., And she's the creator of LGBTQ Families Day, held annually on the first weekday of June. She received the Hollister Habib Family Award from Family Equality, which we love, and for her work in Mambian. In addition, Dana has also worked in internet strategy, content, and marketing since the first dot-com boom. And she lives in the Boston area with her spouse of 30 years, who you will also meet, and they have a son in college, Helen, her spouse is a retired semiconductor engineer who spends her free time 3D printing, which is very interesting. And I'm assuming uh, helping along support Mommy and and helping support us today in our exploration of donor conception. So welcome and thank you so much for coming. Well, thank you for having us. So tell me a little bit about, if you don't mind starting with your family journey, how you met, how you decided to build your family the way you did, and a little bit about your story. Well, we met uh, when we were both in graduate school and we were volunteering for the same organization that gave free rides to women at night. And I was a dispatcher. Helen was a driver. <laughs> and and that's how we met. Okay, so the joke is, so I'd be driving and she'd be telling me where to go. She'd been telling me where to go ever since. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. But we've been together now 30 years. Wow. So, that's yeah, fantastic. That's pretty great. Yeah. Beautiful. 
it took us a while, I think it was me a while to decide to settle down and have kids. You know, my, my career took a few turns and I just wasn't ready to to start that commitment yet. I'm a, I'm a bit older. I'm about five years older than Dana. So, you know, there's that age you hit when you want to have, you decide you want to have kids <laughs> or whatever. And my clock went, my alarm clock started ringing earlier than Dana. I so I wanted kids first. Mm-hmm. But I and got there. <laughs> she got there. It took us a couple of years to kind of get around, get our heads around how this was going to work and mm-hmm. how to move forward. Yeah. I, you know, I, I wasn't opposed to it. I just, you know, I didn't want to be trying to establish a career and be a parent at the same time. I, you know, I wanted to be able to, to do it right. Really focus on and, it. Uh, it's a big commitment. Yeah. Yep. And so we, we finally decided to start. Mm-hmm. And I guess just had the idea almost from the get-go. That's her idea. <laughs> <just> my idea. <laughs> okay. Uh, of doing reciprocal IVF. Nice. Um, so. That was very forward thinking. <laughs> well, because I wanted to carry. She didn't want to carry so much. So she comes up with this idea that she'll donate the egg. We use sperm from a sperm bank to create the embryo. I then carry. And so it was my plan to stay home with a child too oh. and raise a child. I was, I was into that. Uh, most people, when they, especially when they meet our, our son who looks exactly like her, mm-hmm. <laughs> don't guess that I was the one that wanted, wanted the family and wanted the experience of raising a child. But, mm-hmm. I, but that's where we started. Yeah. I mean, I, I wanted it too. I think yeah. I, was, I was less into wanting to carry and also just being younger, it made more sense to use my eggs because, you know, as, as you know, using the younger, fresher eggs yeah. is yeah. a better chance for success. So that was kind of how it all fell out. Yeah. So when we started the preg- pregnancy process, the, uh, I was about 40. So Wow. Yeah. I guess the other twist is that even though Helen had planned to stay home, after we had our son, he was like six months old. Mm-hmm. The company that I was at had a big reorganization and I decided I didn't want to stay with them. So we both sent resumes out and we figured, <laughs> you know, the, the winner would get to stay home and the, the one who got the better offer uh, lost, had lost to go to work. Go to work. <laughs> um, so Helen ended up getting a better offer. I ended up being the one who stayed home. And I think it was, it was great that we were able to be that flexible yes, about, yeah. Yeah, about that. Yes. Yeah, a lot, I think a lot of couples don't. I think, you know, the guy feels obligated to go to work and be the breadwinner, yada, yada. And the little lady is expected to stay home with the baby. But we're like, eh, we're both in this. <laughs> you know, who does it make sense to go earn money and who makes sense? We wanted to have a we wanted to have one parent stay home when the child was young because uh, we think that it's, it's just important. And we were in a lucky enough to be in a financial situation that we could do that. So it was just a matter of who got which job assigned to them essentially. Mm. So it worked out great. But you both ended up agreeing, which is most important. You both agreed. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, that is that is the important part. Yes. There's no arguments about it. Yes. Great. Yeah. And so you did reciprocal IVF. And how did you guys decide on a donor? Because People are always interested in hearing about that since this is about donor conception. You know, I, I think at one point we were ready to throw darts because there were so many options, <laughs> um, but that's but, not how we did it. But this is, it's also, I mean, this is back in the stone ages. I mean, this is 30 years ago, or I'm sorry, 20, 20, year, 20, 20 years ago, 20, 20 years ago. Oh yeah. And, a little more than. and so it was before like the internet was big. And so you used to get a monthly printouts of the donor options, you would, you would sign up with um, a sperm bank or t- a couple of them and you would get their printouts mm-hmm. every month and they would go through, you know, the donor names and a little bit of information about them and like quantity on hand. 
yeah. <laughs> information like that. And then you had to request, if you were interested in a particular donor, you had to request, I think by mail, more information. Yeah. I'm sure on, today it's all online. I'm sure it's a much different experience. Yes. Much different. But um, what's, what information is available na- now, but then it was you know, some basic information, uh, you know, what their favorite color was, mm-hmm. what their favorite animal pets were, you know, stuff like that kind of gets you a, a feeling for uh, the person. And there were a few yeah. of them that also offered uh, a childhood photo of the donor mm-hmm. and or um, a tape. They sent around CDs. They sent around like a little voice a cassette tape, a, yeah. a little voice clip mm-hmm. of the donors talking about his background and what he liked, um, why he was doing this. And what, what did you like about your donor? Well, I think the most important thing for us was healthy, but not so healthy that we thought he just didn't know what might be in his family, you know, <laughs> just being honest yeah. about yeah. it. Yeah. You know, we, we wanted some sense that he knew his family's medical history, um, but was also basically healthy. Just kind of an interesting person. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much of being yeah. interesting is nature versus nurture, yes. but there was something that appealed. Uh, we actually had to try twice. And so the, the first time Helen had a, a chemical pregnancy. So, you know, all the hormone indicators indicated she was pregnant, but it didn't really take. Within a week or two. And, it, yeah. And so we just, long. one of the things the doctor recommended was that we try a different donor. So we tried a different donor the second time, which meant we had to go through the whole thing. Mm. All over again. Uh, but the second time worked. That's fantastic. And we had our son. And so, and how was it for the two of you? I'm sure that was a you know, a very different time, right, than than it is now um, to be, you know, certainly before, you know, the legalization of gay marriage nationally. And so you guys are, you know, raising your son together and really trying to kind of manage all sorts of issues, being same-sex couple, being, you know, having donor conception is being the way that you started your family, having to explain that to him, having explained the whole story to the, you know, the playground, everybody in the playground and the school. And so how did you guys kind of navigate that? And still, I mean, it seems like you guys are still very happy together. You kind of had to go through a lot and still manage to stay connected and stay on the same page. Oh, lots of questions there. (laughs) I I, I think that let's start with the legal bit. Uh, We were living in New Jersey at the time and couldn't get married. It didn't exist for us. Because Helen was the one carrying, in order for me to be the legal parent, I would have had to adopt my own yeah. son. And we both said, that's ridiculous, right? He's genetically mine. I mean, he came out, he's the spinning image of he me. He looks exactly like her. <laughs> um, and so we went to a, a lawyer in New Jersey who worked with LGBTQ couples, and we said, can you help us out? Hmm. And so he helped us petition the court for a, a pre-birth court order naming me as parents. Um, we thought we'd be the first in the state to do this because there was no other precedent, but it turned out there was another couple in another county that was ahead of us by a couple months. So, so they were the first, we were the second. Okay. It was still just very early days in in doing this sort of mm-hmm. thing, but it, it felt more true to what we wanted while also giving us the same legal protections. Wow. So that was the first part. <laughs> That's amazing. We're very grateful that, yeah, and we're very grateful that you know, our son was able to have two legal parents from the moment of his birth. You know, these days, as I'm sure you know, same-sex couples where the uh, the non-genetic mother goes through the adoption process to become a legal parent, um, that can take months to happen after the birth. 
And so there may not be legal coverage. I mean, even if the couple is married, all the LGBTQ legal experts recommend that the parent Mm -hmm. go through a second parent adoption or a confirmatory adoption, which is this more streamlined process that some states are offering now um, or some other court order. But it was really a relief to have that paperwork in hand. So I I had a super easy pregnancy. It was great until the last moments. And then then suddenly things kind of went haywire and I ended up having an emergency C-section. Heaven forbid if something had happened to me and this child was born with, you know, unspecified parent, this woman standing around, who is she? Right. (laughs) Oh, wait, she looks exactly like him. Maybe they're connected. (laughs) So, you know, but, you know, at least... That was nothing to worry about at the time because we had the paperwork ahead of time. Very yeah. privileged, actually, to have that paperwork oh, ahead of time. I mean, it's the kind of thing that I mean, I know that every couple can do. It's fairly expensive, so I hope I hope that process gets streamlined. I know you have. Yeah, you follow that closely. Yeah, and I actually glad the GLBTQ legal advocates and defenders, which mm-hmm. is the uh, the LGBTQ legal advocacy organization here in New England. I partnered with them, and just today we announced a new guide that we have called LGBTQ Paths to Parentage Security, which is just, it's a brief overview to explain some of these options, because I hear questions almost every week from LGBTQ parents asking about questions like, do I really need a a second parent adoption if I'm married, or what happens if my state isn't offering this? And there have been some horrible court rulings in the past six months or so to a year from Oklahoma and Pennsylvania, where they have taken away parentage from a non-genetic parent, even when the couple was married. Oh my goodness. So these things are still oh. happening. And yeah, it's, and at the same time though, there are some states like uh, Connecticut and Rhode Island and mm. Colorado that are putting in place some really updated parentage laws that recognize the range of family formation types today and can serve as really great examples, I think, for other states who want to do the same thing. All different kinds of families. I mean, straight and gay families Mm -hmm. and families in which like a couple was together, but for some reason, the mom like takes off because she can't handle having the kid and the other parents left to raise the child that has no legal connection, mm-hmm. you know, crazy situations, but they, they happen. And, and it's all about protecting the children, right? You know, making sure that they have parents and they, they have protections. That's absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, and, and of course there's, you know, unfortunately in our country right now, as you know, all sorts of debates about what's best for the children, which is, you know, pretty nutty given the time time that we're living in. But I think it's great that you're offering this resource. So for our listeners, can people access this resource um, easily? Yes. Uh, actually, we set up a URL to make it very easy. It's lgbtqparentage.org. Right. And so it's just a, a short overview of why you need to do these these things and what some of the options are for, for doing so. And I, I did it in conjunction with GLAD. You know, I'm not a lawyer, but they are. <laughs> and and one of their lawyers in particular, uh, Polly Crozier, who's one of the leading LGBTQ family law experts, helped write it. So That's fantastic. That's great. So speaking of your resources, how was this Mombian mm-hmm. born? How was the creation of Mombian? Ah. How did that happen? So I was staying home with our son mm-hmm. And my background had been in internet strategy and marketing. So I wanted to do something to kind of keep my professional skills up. Blogging was just coming onto the horizon. 
back in 2005. <laughs> and so I said, hey, let me think about doing a blog. Now, in thinking about what I wanted to do, I, you know, I could have done a cooking blog or, or something like that, but, but that would have involved spending a lot of time you know, cooking and taking photos of food and all of this. And it felt like something I couldn't also fit in with raising our son, which was my primary job. So I said, hey, I'll just do a parenting blog. Therefore, you know, all I have to do is parent, which I'm doing anyway, <laughs> and I can write about it. Um, but having said that, I knew I didn't want to write about just my family. You know, it's not a diary blog of our experience, although I sometimes mention some, you know, some anecdotes here and there. Mm-hmm. You know, we're kind of a, an ordinary, boring family, <laughs> I think. And I just didn't yeah. know that the world really wanted to know what my son had for breakfast. And I also wanted to be thoughtful about his privacy as he grew up. So I launched it as a site instead for news and information more broadly about LGBTQ parents, because at the time, the LGBTQ news sites weren't covering parenting and the parenting sites for the mainstream weren't covering LGBTQ issues. Now, I think both of those things have gotten a little better, you know, in the 20 years since then, but, but at the time, no. And so I started writing about it. I was looking at politics with an LGBTQ parent's eye. I was looking at the then very little media that was LGBTQ inclusive for kids. And that's grown tremendously over the years. And I was trying to, you know, just offer resources and support and, uh, and help people connect. Just celebrating the 18th anniversary of the blog. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. That's fantastic. You. So you had your son, your home. And you're writing this blog where people reaching out to you and saying, you know, this is new and we need help and we want to do the same thing you're doing. We want to have a baby and people, I would imagine, would be clamoring for information. Yes, yes. And, you know, one, one of the early posts that I've had on the blog that I've, I revise every few years and push out again is the story of how we started our family. So... You know, while certainly the majority of the posts are not about my family, I'm happy to talk about it and to put our story out there, but also to connect people with other people whose stories may be different from mine, but are what the other person is looking for, like family that's looking to adopt. Um, I can say, hey, do you know this other person who was also adopting, especially in the early days when blogging was the thing. And there were a lot of LGBTQ parents out there with blogs. I could say, you know, blogger A, go talk to blogger B Mm, because, you know, their information is out there and it's public and it it was fine to To share. Right. Oh, that's great. So you're you're also a matchmaker. Sometimes, (laughs) sometimes. And now, um, you know, again, one of the things I've done for many years is uh, cover books and, uh, and other media for LGBTQ families and, and allies. And so, once I created this database of LGBTQ family books, uh, which is now I think the largest such database around wow. where you can go and search based on topic and identity for kids' books for different ages, I recommend a lot of books online. I'm in a number of online parenting groups and almost daily, I think someone asks, you know, is there a book that shows this or that, you know, this type of family or this type of LGBTQ identity for kids or that explains pronouns for kids or what have you. And so, you know, I'm happy to, to make recommendations and try to give families the resources that they need. And I think particularly because there just wasn't much around when we started. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, 
yeah, just a handful of books and, you know, bless them. They were wonderful and they were groundbreaking, but there just weren't that many. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to thank you again for, for adding my book to your list. I really appreciate that. So thank you so much. Thank you for that. No, that's that's coming up soon. It's coming out soon. Yes, it'll be coming out in the fall, but it's a, on pre-order on Amazon. So yeah, anybody out there is interested, you can take a look at that. Uh, but I really appreciate it. And you know, like you, I also want to get good information out there into the world. It's really important to me. And I think it's great that you guys have this resource, but it sounds like it's like a, a full-time job. It kind of is. I mean, I, I did it. I eventually went back to work part-time when our son was late elementary school. And so I, I balanced it with the job for a while. And now Helen and I are both retired, retired from outside nice. work. Yeah. So it's, it's my job slash your retirement project, large hobby, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> large, large you know, hobby. We're, we're early in, ret- in, in early retirement. And so have to think of something useful and worthwhile to be, to be doing with ourselves. So. Well, it's certainly very worthwhile. Is your son interested in taking it on or working on it? No, uh, he's in college right now. Mm-hmm. Um, he's busy with his stuff. Yeah, his he's, he's got his own interests. <laughs> yeah. yeah, He's so. got his own life. So you guys are empty nesters. We are, except he's home with us for the summer. So we, we get a, a little bit of time with him again, which is, is great for us. I'm not sure how he feels about it, but, <laughs> but, but we're enjoying having him here now. It's hard when kids come back from college, right? It's never really the same. But it's still good. It's just, it's different, but it's great. Yeah. No, and, you know, well, I'll just say this about parenting. I Before we had kids, I didn't know that much about kids, but I thought it'd be great when they turned about five or six, mm-hmm. they had lots of questions, and I could answer them uh-huh. all. Like, why is the grass green? And why is the sky blue? I had answers. But I tell you what, from the, out of the gate, he's been interesting. I mean, you know, from day one, he still is, you know, 20 years later, that every period of development, you know, every, the day that he discovered his toes were attached to him, mm-hmm. like his whole worldview changed. Yeah. Okay, this was many years ago. I don't mean imply yeah. that it's recent. <laughs> but you know, every stage it's just been wonderful experiencing it all. So even even today, when he comes home for just a few months, it's good. It's different, but it's good. Oh, that's so nice. That's wonderful. And how is he? I mean, he must be very mature and a very sophisticated mind to kind of have to navigate all of these issues that we're talking about, you know, from a, as a young child, right? How did he adapt? Well, you know, I think we're lucky in that we live in Massachusetts, which is, you know, a little bit more of a liberal state. Yeah. Fairly liberal um, state, yeah. But again, you know, it was, you know, I guess 15 years ago now when he, he started school. So it wasn't quite as... Uh, but we also made an effort to, you know, before school started, we'd go introduce ourselves to the teacher. Hi, we're his parents. We're both his moms. Smart. Here's what to do for mothers. When you come to Mother's Day and you're going to make cards for mom, here's what you do. Just make one for the both of us. It'll be fine. That's fantastic. And for Father's Day cards, you can make one to grandpa because he's really, he's the important guy in our life. And we want to celebrate the men in our life. And here we had to kind of educate the teachers every year, which is fine. Happy to do it. We all, they were all good. And eventually they, they kind of caught on. <laughs> it became less necessary. So we had to kind of manage the schools a little bit. Yeah. And for Jordan, we'd sort of introduce the topic at an age appropriate way, kind of along. We never wanted him to be surprised. We never wanted him to have some other kids say, where's your dad? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you explain that? How to have a, to give a child the vocabulary to, respond to those types of questions. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I tell you, I, I remember vividly there was one experience when he was in preschool or kindergarten, and he was playing after school in the sandbox with some other kid. And I forget how it came up, but the other kid said, who's that pointing to me? And our son basically said, that's mom. And my mama is the other one. And just like introduced us and went on and the other kid didn't blink and they went on playing. And it was just such a, a non-issue. Well, issue. It was, it was That's great. Kids. <laughs> got two moms. I mean, some yeah. kids were like, yeah. okay, fine. Right, let's go. Let's talk about super <laughs> yeah, you know, It's like, okay. You've got, you've got two cats. I've got two Lego sets. Yeah. You've got two moms. It's got just two grandmas. You know, got two grandmas. Mm-hmm. You, know, it's, um, you know, the world didn't come to a screeching halt for them. Yeah. I mean, I know that for some people in some places it, it, it is Not more challenging. Easy. But at the same time, I think if as parents we go in with the assumption that it's just normal and, and we don't make a big deal of it, I think that can help in many cases help. Yeah, So absolutely. And you guys had the foresight to start early and to make it as comfortable as you could for him, which, you know, is not always easy for parents to do or to talk to the teachers ahead of time. You know, I understand to some degree because I used to give workshops at the Gay and Lesbian Center in New York City. And 20 years ago, maybe four people would show up. And then like 10 years later, I had like 100 people show up. So I could imagine, you know, I could only imagine how it was for you guys thinking, all right, we're going to talk to the teachers about it. I mean, that takes a lot of bravery then because it wasn't kind of the norm. You just decided to go in there and make it like as normal as you could and you weren't anxious about it. And that I, I'm sure helped him a great deal. I hope so. Yeah. Um, As far as I know, he's, you know, he's never been particularly teased or harassed or anything about having two moms and, you know again we're, we're lucky we're in a, a state and a region that our town though our town helps republican yeah, that's true <laughs> believe it or not that's true so we live in a we're in a red town in a blue state oh my goodness but that was okay yeah and even even so people are good the high school has a, a gsa at this point you know a great gender and sexuality is alliance club so it, it's red but it's massachusetts red that's so. <laughs> true not quite as yeah, and and he's always had a pretty good sense of self you know he's had a good sense of his, his his identity who he is who his family is and our families have always been supportive and you know the grandparents are great so oh that's wonderful that helps too that helps a lot yeah. that helps a lot. Yeah. and and we've always been open with him about how he was created. I don't even remember when we first mentioned it to him because we've just always kind of and had an appropriate way we wanted, yeah. we wanted him to have the vocabulary to address it. That's wonderful. And what do you guys say that you're seeing more of now? Because of course, you know, we're talking about how you kind of manage this, and it's you know, it's quite impressive that both of you are just talking about this like in a matter of fact way. And for many people, it was pretty, you know, felt pretty scary back then, um, so many years ago, and you really managed this all so well and so bravely because you've been managing Mombi and all over these years. Do you see things changing? And if so, what sorts of things do you see changing? I guess I'll start by saying at the time, it didn't feel like we were being brave. It just felt like we were starting our family in the, in the only way that was open to mm-hmm. us. I mean, not the only way, you know, we, 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 could, we could have adopted, but you know, in the way we wanted, in the the only biological way that made sense for us. And you talked to the teachers and y'all talked to him openly. 
but again, it, it was kind of more just necessity. This is what we need to do to, you know, to create a good environment for our son and to make sure that he can thrive. So great. So that's good. And you know, in terms of changes, you know, I think things have gotten better in terms of, you know, greater recognition and greater representation of LGBTQ families over mm-hmm. the past 20 years. But then, of course, in the past couple of years, there's definitely been backsliding. a slide, <laughs> much more anti-LGBTQ rhetoric, um, many more attempts to, you know, ban books and representation. And you know, I know the people who are Instigating those things often talk about parents' rights, but the fact is we're parents too, and we have rights. And I think you know we have the right for our son to be in school and to see that he and his family are you know affirmed and supported, and that he gets to go into the library and you know take out books that show families like his yes. if he you know if he just so desires. That's an important message because there are now millions of. LGBTQ parents. I want to say 6 million is the latest figure, but there are a lot of us out there and a lot of kids. And we've been doing this for a long time. Um, you know, the first known LGBTQ parent groups were in 1956. Wow, really? A group, in, a group in San Francisco. It was actually a, a lesbian group called the Daughters of Bolitis. It was a group for, you know, grown women, uh, grown lesbians. And they had a parenting group that was in their 1956 newsletter. Wow. At the time, it was largely women coming out of heterosexual marriages and fighting for custody of of their kids. So it wasn't necessarily intentional LGBTQ families, but we've been parenting a long time and the kids have turned out just as well as any others. So the people who talk about it as being kind of a, a newfangled, Social experiment thing are ignoring the fact that <laughs> we've actually oh, been, I'm newfangled been, been doing this How for exciting. decades. So, <laughs> so I hope that that history that LGBTQ families actually have can sustain us as we navigate some of this backsliding. Yeah. And what about um, kind of things that, in terms of donor conception, that you see kind of changing? I mean, I'm I I see a lot of changes in kind of the increase in known donation, in familial donation, in co-parenting agreements, those sorts of things. Are you seeing that also? Well, I will say, you know, at the time we chose our donor, we chose an unknown donor. One reason was that we were doing that kind of newish legal thing and we wanted to make sure that no one else had any claim. But at least for my part, I didn't even know that there was such a thing as a willing-to-be-known donor where they could have met at 18. And I think I would have been perfectly fine with that. I don't think that it did exist at the time. You know, if it maybe maybe one of the uh, the sperm banks would do that, but yeah, I'm not sure we use them I th- or I think technically it was, it was on offer, but we, but we just never knew. And also, so. yeah, the the legal landscape was so uncertain. We just kind of we said, you know, we just we don't want to have that be a problem, so we're going to go unknown donor. Mm-hmm. But I think these days you're right. There's definitely more of a an, an opportunity options. for for known donors or for the willing to be known at 18 donors, which is great. Because certainly a dis- one big disadvantage of the unknown donor is we don't know his medical history, you know. And I, it'd be nice to know, you know, in the 20 years since the donation, since the since we used his donation, um, how how is his how was his health progressed? You know, did he have any issues coming up? I mean, half of our son's genetic makeup is is a roll of the dice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it would be nice if we could um, track that and just know that he's 
doing well or think maybe things we should watch out for maybe it's high cholesterol or something. We don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I also think that there are more resources like uh, the group called Collage, which is mm-hmm. for children, grown children of LGBTQ parents, has a great resource for kids of LGBTQ parents who were born via donor insemination. Yeah. And, you know, that's just you know something that didn't exist when, when we were starting out. Yeah. And we also have like 23andMe now and, you know, all sorts of other ways to kind of connect with donor-related siblings and donors. And, you know, the world is changing so quickly. It's really uh, amazing. Yeah, we've asked our son if he's interested Mm -hmm. in connecting with his donor. And he's said no, not really. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Nothing to know. I keep bringing up the health thing. He goes, oh, that might be good to know someday. But just really no interest, you know, in general. Mm -hmm. He's like, I've got the two of you. That's all I need. And, you know, not everyone feels that way. That's not necessarily the right answer, but 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 that's him. Just curiosity. I want to know, but that's that's just not his thing. Yeah. Yeah. It really, it's it's so interesting because you just don't know why some kids are curious and some kids aren't curious. And, you know, some kids really want to pursue their medical information. Other kids don't really care that much. So, yeah, I mean, I think everyone has to do what makes them comfortable, but it is nice that we're now having these options, right? We have so many more options than we used to have. Well, I'm glad that you guys are, you know, along for the ride. I mean, it seems like you've seen so much and and really kind of been around the block with so many different sorts of experiences. Is there anything um, that you feel our, our audience should know about with regard to donor conception and regard to resources? It's a lot of needles. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, don't scare me off. And then, mm-hmm. At least with, with, with IVF or reciprocal IVF, <laughs> yeah. it's a lot of needles. Oh, I, I, I was so excited when we kind of got on the same page about having kids and, and started down this path together. It's such a wonderful time in a couple's life, I think, when they decide to take this path together that, you know, can be, and I had, I just encourage anybody to pursue, you know, what's, what's right for them. Lots of resources out there. Dana's some of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's great. And through the mommy inside. I'm sure there's, you know, maybe hundreds or thousands of couples out there at this junction in their life and just wish them all the best. It's just, it's exciting. And if the first, if the first attempt doesn't work, don't give up. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Took us to try. Yeah, it takes some certainly time. Certainly glad we pursued. Right, I mean, sometimes you know, straight couples are trying to get pregnant at home for a very long time before they get pregnant. So, um, but once you get to the doctor, you right. feel like somehow it's like more serious. It should work right away, and it doesn't doesn't always. So it's great that you guys kept at it. And I think what's also great is that you guys agreed, right? And it's so sometimes it's hard to know. If that's going to happen when you meet each other, you don't always think, all right, well, you know, do I want to carry? Do I want to use my eggs? And sometimes not everybody agrees, but it's great that you guys agreed and that you've been through so much together and you still have this beautiful marriage. So it's great to see and it's great to see mom be in and be part of it. So thanks again. And thank you for coming today. I really appreciate everything that you have to offer. Where can people find you? Is there um, a particular website you want to drive them to or a social media account? Uh, Mombian.com is the website. And all of my social media accounts are linked there. But you can find me at uh, Mombian on Instagram and also Facebook and Twitter. 
Well, thanks so much for coming today. It was so nice to meet you both. And I hope we can stay in touch. And um, I, I really applaud everything that you guys are doing. It's fantastic. And for all of you out there, please subscribe because it's how we keep going and how you learn about more and more podcasts and episodes coming up. So stay in touch. And thanks again. Thanks for having thanks us. Thanks for having us. Yes.